Welcome to Empowered Leadership. We share candid conversations with successful leaders about what it takes to cultivate the leadership, life, and legacy you desire, and to do it with confidence, ease, and joy. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. Today, I'm joined by Mike Reese. Mike is the retired Multnomah County Sheriff, a position he held from 2016 to January 1st of this year. Prior to his role as sheriff, Mike was the chief of police of Portland, a position he held from 2010 to 2015. And prior to that, he'd been a member of our law enforcement community here in the city of Portland and Multnomah County since the 1990s. Locally and in the law enforcement community, Mike is well known for leading through several major crises, the Occupy events in 2011, and more recently, the pandemic and doing it in our community with compassion, tact, and ultimately really successful outcomes. Uh, He's also well known for leading a community-based policing training program in Bangladesh, which I'm sure we'll talk more about later. And in addition to being a standout leader in our community, Mike is also my dad. And he's been one of my most influential leadership role models. So it seemed only fitting to have him on Empowered Leadership as one of my first guests. So thank you so much for joining today. I'm so excited to be having this conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And it's uh, nice to see you, even though it's virtually. We've been talking about, uh, you know, post-retirement and I'm traveling in Mexico, living on a sailboat down there. So it's really different uh, from what I was doing in December of 2022 and kind of taking that sabbatical and breaking up. Uh, a career in public safety with a little bit of rest and relaxation. Yeah, captain of first light. It's the only job that you have to hold right now. That's right. (laughs) So if this show is all about leadership, I like to start by asking my guests, how do you define exceptional leadership? You know, I define it as uh, creating a shared vision that inspires people to follow you. Setting measurable outcomes so you know how to define success when you achieve it. It's about commitment to an organization and to the people in that organization, both uh, personally and professionally. You know, you've got a responsibility as a leader to not only create that shared vision, but also to develop and mentor the next generation of leaders after you. So vision, clarity on outcomes, commitment to the organization, and mentorship of your team. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. As you look at those kind of list of four things, I'm curious, which of those was the hardest for you to master as a leader? You know, I think finding a way to communicate your vision to people, because great leaders are also good communicators. And I don't mean they have to be great communicators. It's not like your uh getting up in front of people and your speech is inspiring. But at a certain point, you can have a great vision. And if you don't communicate it clearly and in a way that does inspire people, then you're not going to be the leader that you need to be to ensure that that vision is carried through. And the higher you are up in an organization, the less it is about actually doing the work and the more it is about inspiring people and empowering them to do the work. And so you've got to be able to communicate to folks what that vision is, how you're going to measure success, 
and hold yourself and others accountable. Yeah, that communication piece is particularly challenging. And I've seen it with a lot of my clients, even more challenging in COVID and in the world of remote and hybrid work, because you can't rely on those incidental in-person interactions that you could when we were all working from the office to communicate, see, did my message land? And then figure out where do I need to course correct to make sure people are on the same page. How have you made sure, given the scale of the organizations you've led, the diversity of types of people you lead and locations, to make sure you're really communicating your messages effectively to all the different stakeholder groups? It's never easy, especially in a large organization where you have people working in remote locations, not just working remotely, but often, you know, you're managing facilities that are either in production facilities or you, you're running a nonprofit. You've got a lot of different locations where you're providing service in public safety. You know, we've got police precincts and jail facilities spread out all over Multnomah County. So to communicate, one, you got to be present. I think that's one of the key things for leaders in this post-pandemic period. As we come out of the pandemic, a lot of folks worked remotely. And in many settings, that was completely appropriate. But in public safety, for example, I could have worked remotely. I could have done a lot of the managing of our organization remotely. We had a lot of our administrative staff doing that. But the line staff had to be there every day. You know, they had to protect and serve our community. They had to manage jail facilities, ensure the safety and uh, security of those facilities, as well as providing adults in custody uh, the resources they needed. So as the leader of the organization, I had to be present. I had to go to the facilities. I had to work in the jail. I had to work on patrol, go to roll calls and uh, communicate to folks in this moment of, of crisis how we were going to respond and how we would come out of it successfully on the other end. And so being present was really important for me and, and our organization. Uh, but as a communicator, you have to also, you can't be everywhere. And the larger the organization is, the larger the scope of the organization, the more you have to uh, make sure that your message is carried through different media. So as a leader, I use uh, videos to communicate to staff and to the public. Emails, of course, ubiquitous emails that we fill up our inboxes with. And then, you know, the communication in meetings and things that you're doing, you know, that one-on-one -on -one with managers and uh, team meetings. I think those are all really important ways to communicate. The feedback loop that you need to get though so you you know you've got this idea that at the top of the um, Christmas tree here's the leader up at the top of the Christmas tree and you're seeing this entire organization you want to make sure that the message is getting to the folks that are at the, you know the line level that are providing the service and that's super challenging you've uh, I'm sure played that telephone game where you're telling one person a message and by the time it gets around to you it's a different message and that can really undermine you as a leader in an organization and, and sidetrack the organization from the vision that you have set forward. So I think having feedback mechanisms, and again, that requires presence in the workplace. So getting out 
to talk to line staff and hear from them. You know, how are they hearing your message? What do they think are the most important things that the organization is focused on right now? You know, a lot of folks talk about having an open door policy. Colin Powell, one of my leaders that I've uh, always admired, uh, talked about managing by walking around, you know, allowing people to uh, ambush you, as he would put it, you know. <laughs> so be, being present uh, in the workplace and allowing people to come up and talk to you. And I think that's uh, really critical. The larger the organization, the more scope you have, and you've got some of those feedback loops. Yeah, I've heard a few things I want to just reinforce for listeners or viewers of this show. And that is, in communication, it's about using all the channels you have available. It's about making sure you're putting out the same information in multiple channels so people can consume it when and how it works best. It's about being present for people. And it's about making sure, finally, that communication isn't just topped in but it's also coming back up and you're creating those feedback loops. And you said something there at the start when you talked about being present, which is, I think I just, I had to do it. But you didn't have to, you made a choice. You made a conscious choice to go and be present where your people were working. And that's such an important insight for leaders today, which is go to where your people are. Because not only does it mean you're going to get that real visible insight into what's happening, how are people feeling, but you also are building that uh, trust and those personal relationships, which show people that I'm in it with you. And that's what creates an environment of psychological safety is when people feel like they can talk to you, they can approach you, you're there for them, you're in it with them and you have their back. I think that's really true when you are going through a crisis that you've got to double down on those efforts to be engaged with people because they need to see and hear from you, their leader in the organization. Certainly during the pandemic, running as the sheriff, I was responsible for operating the largest jail system in the state of Oregon, in Multnomah County. And I'm really proud of the fact that we didn't lose adults in our custody or a staff person to COVID. Uh, we were one of the few. We we're one of the few jail, large jail systems in the United States uh, that can say that. And uh, our alignment with early on in the pandemic, our alignment with public health officials, and doing some, I think, tabletop exercises to work through our protocols around the the COVID pandemic. You know, how how would we respond to different situations that would come up? Uh, it helped us plan for and be um, purposeful in how we uh, implemented some really profound changes in our public safety system quickly in the pandemic. But the line staff weren't necessarily part of those conversations. They weren't part of the tabletop exercises. So I had to go into the facilities and communicate with folks, talk about what we did, and to reinforce to them that, especially in the early stages of the pandemic when so much was unknown. People wanted to receive as much information as they possibly could and to feel like you had their back, that the leader of the organization was looking out for their best interests and was doing everything possible to keep them safe. 
Yeah, absolutely. Something you touched on there with that story is the idea of scenario planning or gaming out different situations. And I want to highlight that because that is such an important uh, tactic or strategy that all leaders should have in their tool belt when it comes to navigating periods of uncertainty. There is no prediction of what the world will hold in one, two, three years that we can put a pin in it and say, this is exactly the future we have to plan for. So what you just described is a great uh, way to approach, you know, planning for those big uncertainties so that regardless of what happens, you're really able to pivot and move forward quickly and with great success. It certainly worked well for us during the pandemic at the sheriff's office. And I give kudos to our public health officials who partnered with us and were willing to come into our jail systems and assess our uh, the protocols that we already had in place because infectious diseases are just part of what happens in congregate settings, whether it's, you know, the flu or MRSA or other things that happen. You know, lots of people gather in, in congregate settings. So we tested, you know, those protocols and responses to what we knew about COVID and then made adjustments. But it allowed us to then when, you know, that idea that you just mentioned of pivoting, we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. And when the something would change, a new fact was uh, discovered about COVID or it's uh, migrating or the vaccines are about ready to come out. We had already worked through in those scenario-based exercises a lot of the challenges so that we could pivot to the new challenge without having to worry about all of the other things that we'd already managed through. So it, it helped us. It gave us space to take on something new without feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a way of creating certainty amidst uncertainty, which takes a lot of that psychological stress out, both in the leadership team. And as you said, if you can communicate it to your people effectively down in the rest of the organization, where the lack of information can be often more unsettling than the situation itself. I'm curious, what other pieces of advice or words of wisdom might you have for leaders who are trying to lead through crisis or really challenging situations today? The uncertainty that we're in right now, I don't think any of us in 2019 could have foreseen what was going to happen in 2020, 2021. That sense of... uncertainty has, I think, damaged our psyche. And we've got a lot of people who may have PTSD that are working for us uh, that may not, you know, I know that in many organizations, hiring, recruiting and hiring employees is incredibly challenging right now. A lot of people opted out of the work environment. They're doing something else and they'll come back and we have to be prepared for their return to the work environment. How do we make it safe and welcoming? That sense of safety, trust, and belonging is really important to people when they show up at the workplace. And we've got to be prepared for that and to have the the mindset around wellness for our employees. Because I think a lot of people have been uh, really 
severely impacted by what happened during 2020 and 2021. I am so glad you brought that up because that in my coaching work with senior leaders is one of the key challenges they're facing. How do I engage, support, and really create a healthy environment with a team who is carrying, in many cases, a lot of trauma from the last three years? And that's a real barrier for leaders today. And it's something new that most leaders didn't have to deal with pre-2020. I'm curious, what advice or tactics have worked well could you share with leaders who just aren't sure how to lead in that type of environment and how to support team members who may be working through those types of very real challenges? Well, I think it first is acknowledging that people do have trauma uh, from COVID and the loss of life, the illness that that happened, you know, a lot of a lot of families, a lot of individuals have been severely impacted uh, by the pandemic, and simply acknowledging that. And I think you know the messaging isn't once and you're done. It's over and over again, and letting folks know that you care about them, that you care about their their well being. In public safety, a lot of our, our organizations have peer support groups that are trained to help employees deal with some of the impacts of career and public safety, which creates its own trauma. You know, we're unfortunately used to that. You have deputies and police officers that go to uh, horrible situations, traffic accidents where someone has lost a life, or see the victims of crimes and um, the horrific outcomes that can happen. And so that builds up trauma in our first responders, whether it's police, firefighters, EMTs. And I think having peer support systems that are effective in helping people uh, deal with that. And then professional support systems as well. So I'd like to say there are in public safety, there's three legs to the stool of wellness for our employees. One is peer support. One is our professional uh, counselors and associations that provide service to uh, our employees. And then for us, we have a really vibrant faith-based support system as well. So for folks that are members of a faith community, we have those support systems as part of our organization as well. For I know uh, one of the things that has kept me as a leader and as a public safety professional healthy and balanced in my life is working out. You know, I like to exercise. And I think that's a a great way to let go of some of the stress of our job. You know, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be a marathon runner or a triathlete, but doing something to work your body and let go of some of the stress. I also uh, like to tell our new employees as they uh, come into the organization that we hired them for who they are. We're not trying to remake them into something else. And we're going to provide them training and all of those things. But we hired you for your values, your work ethic, uh, for the things that you bring into the organization and keep doing them. If you are a member of a, a book club or a health organization or 
you like to go out and hike, keep doing those things because that is what we hired you for. Uh, you are stronger and better when you have those outside influences on your life and don't don't let go of those. That's some really powerful guidance for leaders. You know, a few gems I'm hearing is one, really in, encourage people and celebrate people's unique attributes, skill sets, qualities in the workplace. The second, you know, provide them support. And I see a lot of organizations providing external support, but I don't see them providing that internal support, which is so key to normalizing the experience of pain or loss or trauma and allowing people to feel safe expressing it so they can work through it and heal it. And then three, you know, being just present for it and creating space for people. I'm assuming that those resources are accessible during business hours, which I know for a lot of people today, they're working 50 to 60 hours a week. And the idea of using those resources may seem almost impossible just from a scheduling perspective. You know, something you've touched on that I think is really important to dig into a bit more is just the um, importance of thinking about self-leadership and how we lead ourselves. How do we motivate, care for, inspire, and grow ourselves so that we can lead others? It sounds like exercise and movement have been a really big part of that for you. What else is part of your kind of self-leadership practice? I think first and foremost, to be effective and to be seen as credible, you have to actually care about what you're doing. So making sure that whatever path you've chosen is the right path for you. And I know in the business world, uh, great leaders can go from leading uh, a company that is in uh, the tech field to manufacturing, you know, and they can leap around and be very effective. But you've got to you've got to care. For me, the safety of our community was a guiding light. You know, I was committed to doing everything I could do as the leader of the Portland Police Bureau or the Sheriff's Office to keeping our community safe. And I took it very personally. I wanted the city of Portland and Multnomah County to be safe for my family to raise their families. And so that deep commitment to whatever it is you're doing uh, makes you a credible leader. I think that has helped me over the course of my career remain focused and even when things are really, really challenging, going back to that guiding principle, that guiding light that is you know, always driving me to excel as a leader in public safety has, has only to be effective in leading these large organizations. Yeah, that power of purpose I'm hearing has been really key to your success. How has that enabled you? Something I've always really respected about uh, your career and your ability to lead has been during these really challenging times of crisis, particularly when you were police chief, your ability to really stay focused on purpose and manage all of these sometimes very conflicting stakeholder demands on you, your organization, how you approach your work. Can you speak a little bit more to how you've been able to stay focused on purpose and navigate what can often feel like maybe conflicting priorities and demands? 
I think your generation is better at it than mine. You know, the multi, the ability to multitask. But for me as a leader, you know, when you have a crisis that hits your organization, of course, you're hyper-focused on managing through whatever it is that's impacting you. But you still have this large organization to run. You know, the hiring, recruitment, retention of employees is still there. The budget is still there. I don't want to speak about um, all of the challenges of the private sector, but I know in government work, it, there's a, a cycle to it and it's relentless. And if you let go of the, you know, of, of managing the hiring process or you let go of keeping track of how expenditures are going because you've got this crisis in front of you, you're going to come out of the crisis and you're going to have another yeah. one. <laughs> because you let go of some of the responsibilities. So, you know, I think the ability to compartmentalize, you know, focus here and then pivot and focus here and keeping track of all of the different things that are happening inside your organization. I I won't say it's easy. It's not for the faint of heart, but I think effective leaders are able to do that, to compartmentalize and to, to keep, all of the different parts of the organization moving forward in spite of whatever crisis is happening today. Yeah. I mean, that is certainly the challenge, right? How do you, as a leader, given a very limited amount of time in the day, make sure that you're providing the care, oversight, support needed for every part of your very complex organization to be effective and moving forward. How did you determine where do I need to put my focus today? I think setting up systems that give you feedback mechanisms or or information back to you. One of my uh, mentors in my career was uh, Greg Clark, who was a precinct commander and then assistant chief for the Portland Police Bureau. And he talked about managing the organization like a like a building manager, you know, you've got these large office buildings downtown and there's somebody in charge of that building who's keeping track of, you know, the air quality, the temperature of the building, the humidity, all of these different systems. And they get, you know, they've got feedback loops that tell them and they don't have to care about it. You know, if the temperature is set for 72 degrees, all I have to do is look at the thermostat at 72 and I don't have to worry about the temperature. But if I come to work and the temperature says 65, something's wrong and I need to dig into that. Yeah. And I think setting up systems like that give you feedback on how the organization is doing. You know, sometimes we talk about checking the oil temperature of an organization or a person. And I think that's, you know, a good way to look at it. And if you have those systems set up, then you may not have to worry about everything. One other question that our conversation has sparked for me is around your own growth and development and mentorship. You mentioned um, one mentor that you've had who's really supported you in thinking about how to lead a large organization. How else have you supported your own growth and development, particularly when you were the executive and you didn't have a manager above you who was helping you set growth and development goals, manage to those? You know, one of the things that uh, helped me, particularly when there would be 
an event that happened that may be controversial or in the media. Having peer relationships with other chiefs of police and other sheriffs of like-sized organizations. So I was a member of major city chiefs and then major county sheriffs. And uh, going to the conferences, having conversations with other leaders of like-sized organizations, one, it made me realize that we're all in this together. and We all have a lot of the same situations that come up. You would hear ideas from other leaders about how they were handling similar types of uh, events in their organization. And it reinforced some. Sometimes it made me feel like, hey, you know, they've got the same problem, but we're already through it. You know, we're a step ahead. We're managing this better than most organizations. And so it reinforced to me that our organization was was sound, solid, and well-managed. So, you know, again, having relationships with peers at that same level, because you're right, it is it is lonely at the top. When you are leading an organization, it's not appropriate to share down in the organization with the people that report to you some of the challenges that you're facing. Uh, you've got to bear that yourself, and you have to be able to have uh, trusted advisors and a support system outside of your organization that is going to help you maintain you know, a good perspective and a balanced life. Yeah, I think you're spot on. That's something I talk a lot about with leaders is just the importance of having a community of people, you know, from mentors who can who have walked in your shoes and can help show you the path to advisors and coaches who can help you make better decisions and tap into your own intuition to peers who are in it with you and can be that reference point and help you remember, I'm not alone. And where people are going through this. And that kind of that network of support is such a powerful success ingredient to being a leader. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think would be helpful to share to listeners who are looking to improve their own leadership life and impact? The one piece of advice I would give to other leaders is be a student of history. The challenges that we're facing have been faced by previous generations. And I really feel like we stand on the shoulders of those leaders that came before us. We're building on their legacy, the foundation that they laid, we're adding to it. And be a student of history of your organization. Uh, what are the drivers of the challenges you're facing and the opportunities? And I think for me, I've always been interested in the history of the organizations that I'm, I'm leading and making sure that I'm not repeating the same mistakes that other folks have made in the past, because you can learn a lot uh, from what's happened in the past. And then, you know, I just wanted to share one of my favorite books on uh, leadership is Lincoln on Leadership. This is a great uh, read for uh, leaders. And the other book I would recommend would be Colin Powell, uh, The Leadership Secrets for Powell, amazing uh, leader in the military and the State Department in our country. And uh, just, you know, practical advice to help you be successful as a leader. Yeah, no, those are great suggestions. And I think 
anyone who listens to this podcast will probably appreciate them. Uh, I tend to be in a community of who loves to read and loves to learn more and get more insight. So thank you for sharing those. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Empowered Leadership. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. To find out more about how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact and do so with greater confidence, ease, and joy, please check out my website. It's opastrategy.com. That is O-P-A strategy.com. And also make sure to search Empowered Leadership in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And please feel free to click subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you so much and have a lovely day. Thank you for joining me, your host, Alexandra Reese, and our guest on another episode of Empowered Leadership. To find out more on how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact with confidence, ease, and joy, please visit my website, opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And then please make sure to search for Empowered Leadership wherever you get your podcasts and click to subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please do share with a friend or a colleague. It makes a big difference. Thank you so much and have a lovely day.